Good morning. Nice to see your faces. Well, some of you. Just kidding. Not kidding. So, you know, to get to the first place that Barry went to is 26 hours. I don't know if you've ever been flying for 26 hours, but you lose your Christianity really quickly. And the oxygen is down to the minimum so they don't have to pay for more fuel and you get off. And that's why we have jet lag. But then when he finishes where he is, he has to fly to the next city in um, Australia. And it is a five-hour, that's from here to New York. So he's done 26 hours. He's going to pour his heart out. Chuck Swindoll did research many, many years ago and said a pastor preaching a 45-minute message in a Sunday morning pulpit is equal to a construction worker doing an eight-hour job. So your mind is going, your spirit's going, your body's going, and um, he's going to be a tired puppy when this gets over. But like um, was just said, it's very difficult for many places to have somebody come to share. Uh, they, they often ask, could you come and pay your own expenses? And uh, it is difficult sometimes. The seven churches got together and invited me to Auckland. Um, and I wasn't able to respond to it at this point. And so I understand Barry's dilemma. And I'd like to say one thing before we go on. We'll be in uh, Mark chapter 4, if you'd like to turn your Bibles. When you're a pastor and your heart is to feed the flock, I watched this for 40 years with Pastor Chuck Smith. Um, he was always back for Sundays. And when he wasn't, it had to be something really, really special. Um, so though he's there and he's doing what he loves to do, his heart is still here because you're the sheep of the Lord's pasture. So you may want to pray for him that that tension wouldn't be there, that he, he could just touch the body of Christ in those two nations and, and uh, come home tired and weary but smiling. Because he loves you and he's happy to be with you. So don't think it's a, it's a rejection of being the pastor of a congregation. You know, when you're gifted, the Lord asks you to do several things beyond the normal. And uh, that's why he takes abnormal guys like us and uses us. We're used to the abnormal. So, Father, we are so grateful for this day that each of us are healthy and able to be up and out in the beautiful sunshine. And we're so grateful that you love each one of us dearly and deeply. And we do pray for Pastor Barry that you'd bless his heart, bless his body, bless his mind and his spirit. And um, let the people of Australia do what Revelation said. It's time for the bride to prepare herself and make herself ready. And the same for those in Auckland. Those are both large land masses in one sense, but very small populations in another and so far away from each other. So this is somewhat of a delicacy for them to be able to watch Pastor Barry on World News Briefing and watch the Sunday and the Wednesday services and then to have him standing in front of them. And we're very happy we can share him with them. And Lord, as your return seems to be closer and closer now, with the British ship being uh, hijacked and all the crew uh, by Iran um, this week. It's just, it's heating up very quickly, and we'd like to just ask you to have mercy on the United States of America that has turned from you 
and all the evil and the wickedness that our politicians endorse, Lord, it's just uh, it's just overwhelming. We'd like to ask that you would use each one of us with our neighbors next door or behind us over the fence or at work or at school or at the beach or even shopping somewhere, that we would be more open to you and the Holy Spirit to see people and realize their lives need the tender touch of God. So use each one of us, Lord. Don't let us be closet Christians. Let us let our lights so shine that men will see our good works and give glory to you. So bless these people of this great congregation and minister to all of our hearts and souls this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'd like you to stand and turn to Psalm 1. We'll be in Mark uh, 4, but I want, want us to read together Psalm 1. And i uh, tell you what, I'll do the um, first and odd-numbered verses, and you can do the even-numbered verses in unison. So Psalm 1. I'll do the first and odd-numbered. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. That's an easy one to remember, short verses, but it'll propel you through life, realizing how important it is to be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters, that your roots of your life, your soul, your spirit, go down into the Word of God, and it brings back the fruit that the people around you can partake of. Your leaf will never wither or dry up. You'll always be overflowing with the joy of the Lord. And it's interesting Um, The unrighteous and the sinners shall not stand. But when you read chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, at the end of the world, when horrible things are happening, men and women will hide themselves in the caves and in the mountains uh, and behind the rocks, and they'll be crying out to Mother Nature, uh, hide us, cover us. We'd rather die than to see the wrath of the Lamb or God they end up their little diatribe by saying, who shall be able to stand? Well, definitely they're not going to. That's a wonderful time. They know who God is. They know who Jesus is. They still don't repent. Who's able to stand? The person that is a Psalm 1 Christian is able to stand. And you will stand. And you will bow. And you'll just, whatever you want to do, Just you'll be madly in love with him. But... I get the first two million years alone with the Lord. And then the next million I get with Chuck Smith, and you'll have to wait for that. All right? You can be seated. Um, Barry 
I guess, hit the bottom of the barrel and he couldn't get any other speakers, so he asked me if I'd do two Sundays. And I said, yeah, I'd be glad to do two Sundays. And he said, uh, do you have any back-to-back, two-part messages? And I said, no, but I could make up a couple real quickly. But I said, yeah, I, I do. So today we're going to look at the fourth chapter of Mark. And uh, it's how to overcome the storms in life. And how do we overcome those storms? And next Sunday is going to be two short letters with two tall words. And they'll put us both into the same arena that how do we keep moving forward? How do we keep taking the hits that we take and the setbacks in life and the pain and the uh, rejection, the loneliness, the things that come to us that other people may not even know about? It's laid out in the scriptures. The first, of course, is Psalm 1. Stay in the Word of God and you're going to prosper. doesn't mean that you're not going to feel pain, but you will prosper spiritually. And each day we should be a different person. That we lay something down and say, I don't want that in my life anymore, Lord, please. And uh, it's going to take eternity, which means never ending, for him to display his love to you. Might as well get used to it now. And for the newbies and the beginners that just got saved, and there will be one woman, one child, one man somewhere on the planet that is the last one God's waiting for before he takes the church into heaven. It may be you if you're here today. Would you hurry up and accept the Lord so we can get out of here? But um, it is so unique that eternity is going to be so different than what we've experienced here. So you should start now because you'll go into heaven and you'll have a lot of experience in the Word. You'll recognize Ezekiel. You'll recognize Pastor Chuck. You'll recognize Billy Graham. You'll recognize Jeremiah. And most definitely, with his head under his arm, you'll recognize John the Baptist. And uh, you'll say, that's John the Baptist. I know that guy. But you don't need to look like a tourist when you get into heaven. You'll realize you're home, finally. No sickness, no sorrow, no sadness, no pain, no death. And God shall wipe every tear from your eyes. Every one of them. Amazing. So in the fourth chapter, as we uh, look at this, I'll read the story to you. You've heard it before. You know the story. But I'd just like to take a little different look at it this morning, if we we could. Chapter 4. And we will start at... Let's start at verse... um, 33, chapter 4, verse 33. And with many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over. To the other side. Now, when they had um, left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, 
asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Master, teacher, rabbi, do you not care that we're perishing? And then he arose, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who can this be? First of all, it's a storm. And we've all had storms in our life and problems and issues in our families, in our workplace, in our school, wherever. We have bumps with other people and we don't know what to do. But how we respond to the trials and tribulations that come into our life is very, very important. Because without knowing it, for some of us, people are watching to see how you're going to respond. Are you going to come with some four-letter words? Or is your vocabulary all of a sudden going to get mean and angry? Are you going to reach for a bottle of something? Or roll something and smoke it? What do you do when the troubles come? Are you able to stand up on your own two feet and face the storm? Now, I'd like you to underline certain things, if you would, in your Bible. The first one I want you to underline is right at the very beginning of this story in verse 33. Let us cross over to the other side. You know, it's interesting. It didn't say, let me cross over to the other side. But after they came to Jesus and said, don't you care, we never hear of him again. And yet he gets out of the boat, as you well know. In chapter 5, verse 1, there's a man who is insane. He's actually possessed by demons. He has no family with him, no mother, no father, no grandparents, no psychiatrist, no MD, no psychologist, nobody to write him a prescription for his mental disabilities. Nobody cares for him. He's naked. He's day and night trying to commit suicide by cutting his body with rocks and stones, and he can't even kill himself. And um, the police and law enforcement were always arresting him. And finally, this troubled person that was a troublemaker for the Decapolis, which were ten little towns uh, in that area, in Gadara, and they put him out where nobody would have to be afraid of him again. But when they arrested him, they realized that he has so much strength that he can break the chains that have shackles on his wrists and on his ankles. And he was so strong, it would take a half a dozen or more police officers to hold him down and get these on. And then he'd just get up. And so they feared him physically. But the evilness that was inside of him feared the people more. They weren't sure of what it was, but they didn't want anything to do with this man. Now, I don't know if you've ever been rejected, but it's not a fun thing to be rejected. Jesus was rejected, so I take any rejection and I go to him with it. He understands rejection. But we've all had some experience with rejection. And, and it depends on who it is that's rejecting us of how we're going to act. If it's somebody we care less about, we don't even say anything. But if it's somebody we really admire or care for, we're going to try to show that they made a big mistake. But that would be our big mistake. So when it says, let us go over, 
The Lord wants us to get through everything that comes our way. And there's always blessings and maturity on the other side of the trials, tribulations, and storms that you and I go through. There's always something there that makes it worthwhile. And when God wants to really bless you, you better believe the devil, like in Zechariah chapter 3, when the priest uh, uh, Joshua was standing before the Lord, it says Satan was ready to resist him. And as God wants to bless you, Satan is always ready to take that blessing away from him. So there's always a bigger picture to the problem you're facing today. There's always issues that can be a lot broader in your life and a lot deeper in your life. And sometimes you're so overwhelmed, you don't know what to do. And so the storms have a plan by Satan of how to destroy you, even though physically you can make it to the other side of the storm. Let us. He's including them in what's on the other side, and he knows who's on the other side. He knows there's a man that nobody loves or cares for. He knows a man that is very lonely, very much rejected by all stratas of life, up close and at distance. He knows he's there. But it's so sad that they were so concerned about themselves, they forgot to even get out of the boat, probably, to help Jesus. They're probably getting the kelp off their head and the fish out of their beards, and, you know, they're probably getting sick on each other's robes or whatever. But he said, let us go. It wasn't a one-man show. He is always teaching and training. And so whatever you and I go through, he's teaching and he's training us. He wants us to grow. He doesn't want us to be the same person. So uh, godly people suffer. And in this world, Jesus said, you shall have tribulation. We won't get away from it. But now we see something that in most of our lifetimes we've never heard or seen on the streets of the U.S. of A. And that is Antichrist talk against Jesus, against the church, against Christians. It's everywhere on the Internet. It uh, is, is something that the church doesn't get yet, that the future that is designed for our children, our grandchildren, does not have a Bible in it or a God or a Jesus. It has a lot of perverted sexual uh, situations, has a lot of lawlessness and crime, has a lot of people turning on each other. We're told in the book of Revelation, not just the things that come out of the sky or the wars, but people themselves will start killing other people. It will, this world will be so dark once the light leaves. So it's evacuation planet Earth. And we are the light. And we're to let our light shine so people can see them. And we think for some reason that everything has to be hunky-dory. It has to be rose petals. It has to be so calm and cool. Well, the people that are really deeply in trouble, it's not that way for them. So you are trained over our lifetime as a Christian to go through a lot of storms because it's where you're going to rescue a lot of lost people. So the first thing that we see here is that this storm stole their faith. That happens to you and me too. Number one, the storm steals your faith. Because he said, let us go over. And they didn't have the faith to take his word and say, we're going over. 
He never said anything about going under or about drowning or about sinking. He said, let's go over. Let us go over together. And there are so many things going on in each of your heads and lives right now. It's always important to know there are a lot of issues. And Galatians chapter 5 tells us that we have a spirit and we have this flesh. And the lust of the flesh is battling the spirit and the purity of the spirit is battling the flesh. And they're contrary to each other. So that there's always a tension and a struggle going on. You ever feel that? To do good, you can't find it, Paul says. Not to do good, I find that really easily. Don't you? You can identify with that. And when the troubles come, how we respond is very, very important. The storm stole their faith. And how many people you can think of right now, if not on just one hand, maybe more hands, that because something came into their life, they blame the church, they blame the Bible, they blame the Lord, they blame the Christians, and they're out in the world and lost. Don't let the problems of your life steal your faith. Be like Psalm 1 and realize the wind's going to blow, the tree's going to shake, but your leaf will always produce. It's just uncomfortable right now. And the Lord pairs back his children just like a tree so that we can grow stronger and bear even more luscious fruit for the people around us. So number one, let us go over. They lost sight of that. And um, we see the storm just looking ahead that they lost their faith. Now, the second thing I'd like to point out to you is that little statement there. And it says they took him in the boat as he was. And then this other thing happens. There were other little boats with them. Most people don't see any importance in that, but there's a reason. Because when we're in the middle of a storm, the storm will steal our compassion for other people. There is no mention that the 12 apostles said, Jesus, should we swim over in the midst of the storm? Should we help these little boats? There's all these people following you, Jesus. What should we do to save them from the storm? No, compassion goes out the door when we let the storm get bigger than our God. Don't do that. There's a lot of little ships around each one of us, little boats, people that are following us and watching what we do and going where we go and trying their best to be good, like you, and to see a change in their life. But when we lose sight of the Lord and we focus on that storm, the compassion is gone for others. Storms steal our compassions. I can remember so many tired firefighters and police officers at Ground Zero. I was a responder on a special air disaster team, and I was there, I was called day one. And um, to see the sacrifices in the long hours and how when you would talk with them, they'd be more concerned about the families who are going to get a death notification from me or another chaplain or the firefighters that lost so many when the buildings went down. The exhaustion of being up 16, 18 hours, you know, spraying water on the buildings that, that remained, the heat of it. 
They had compassion. They never lost their compassion. I want to encourage you. When things get rough in your life, back up. It's not about you. Who's around you that if you really let this storm take you is going to sink? Are you helping somebody, but you're not going to have time to help them now because you're facing your own situation? There are three people that I'm dealing with, and I've actually, I'm nowhere near them. One is a woman that I've never met in my life that wrote me, needed help. She's in extreme physical pain. She has no insurance. She can't get any help from the doctors. She doesn't think she's going to heaven. She thinks that she's going to hell every day. She's so depressed, so down, so rejected, so lonely. So I wrote her back, and I gave her a homework assignment and uh, checked in with me. Now, she's done the assignment every day, and this first week has gone by. She says, I can already see changes inside of me. I still want to be assured that God loves me and I'm not going to hell. So I tell her, just keep on your assignment. I'm giving her things to read the Bible, and uh, it's working. Another one is a very good friend, a colonel, United States Air Force Intelligence, had a $1 billion budget that he oversaw in the Pentagon, a very bright, bright person, written several books. Uh, Just very bright, loves the Lord. And he has TBI, traumatic brain injury. When Saddam Hussein was shooting Scud missiles at Israel, he was in northern Israel with a team evacuating people, and a Scud missile went off very near to him. As the symptoms appeared, it seemed like he had Parkinson's disease. But now here's this very strong, healthy, brilliant, intellectual man that just loves Jesus like you wouldn't believe. And so I called him. I was talking to him the other day, and now he's in bed. Uh, But he said to me, I'd never change anything. Though my friends turned on me, and he went on through all these things. He said, I wanted to get bitter. I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. But to know Jesus the way I do today is unbelievable, and I wouldn't change anything. The third one is a very wealthy man. comes from a really strong uh, Christian family. I know his family, and he's dying. He's got something close to Lou Gehrig's disease. He had fast cars and raced them. He had businesses and a great entrepreneur. And uh, he said the same thing. Mike, I can't believe the things that God has taught me. I just can't believe it. And except for my wife having to watch me go through this suffering, I would not change anything if it took this to get me this close to God and to see him and to know him. I want to go to heaven. I want to see my brother. I want to go to heaven. I want to see my mom and dad. But I have another brother and sister that are here, and it's their strength and their prayers for me that keeps me hanging on. Now, I don't know what your situation is, but at any moment, those of you that are older know this to be a truism. Your life, and those in law enforcement too, Your life can change just like that. You're going to the store to shop. Somebody is coming out on some stupid drug, and they just held the store up, and they bump into you and shoot you. You're a a, a drunk driver going the wrong way on the freeway. Uh, Just Your life can change in an instant. But are you ready for it? Are you ready to say, okay, Lord, 
Though he slay me, yet shall I praise him. You'll trust God that he knows exactly what he's doing. So number one, storms can steal our faith. Number two, storms can steal our compassion. And number three, it says the waves beat into the boat. This tells us the storm stole their security and their peace. You've been told by the Prince of Peace, number one peace officer in the kingdom, that you have peace that passes all understanding, that comes from the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. But if you're in a storm or you've been in storms, can you always say that you went through it with peace and you prayed through it, that the Lord would bless you? Take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 21. I'll read that. Those of you that don't have it memorized, it's a very simple verse, but boy, it gives us a hope for the future. Chapter 8, verse 21 of Romans says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until this very moment. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for this adoption, the redemption of our body. Yes, when the waves start beating in, that's like you're in the storm and you look around and say, Oh, Oh, my goodness, the insurance payments do, the car payments do, the electrics do, the mortgages do, the homeowner association do, and you just got laid off. The water's now coming in. Now, are you going to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding? Or are you going to freak out because water doesn't belong inside boats. It belongs outside boats. And everything that your mind tells you and everything you've ever learned is you're going to sink. You're not going to make it. But if you turn to the Lord in that kind of a storm, oh my goodness, he can get you out of the boat and you can walk on water. The storms will steal your faith. Your trials, tribulations, storms will steal your compassion for other people. You will have your peace that passes all understanding and your security taken away from you. The water's coming in. We can drown here. But are you trusting God? The first reaction is don't trust God. Save yourself. Whatever it's going to take, save yourself. And that is so hard to learn sometimes to say, I want to save myself right now, Lord, but there's these little boats around me. There's probably people here that need help. Lord, I'd like to help them, but my flesh says no. Uh, My faith is kind of down. Now you can get bitter when your faith is down. When it gets stolen, don't get bitter. Get better. And the only thing that's the difference between bitter and better 
is the letter I. And when you get bitter, it's all about you. But you'll blame it on other people. So don't let the testings take away from you the joy of the Lord that you know when you come through. You're going to be humbler. You're going to be stronger. You're going to be more aware. And you'll see the Lord in ways you've never seen him before that will give you great confidence. So then the fourth thing that we see that these storms do in our life, it says he was uh, asleep on a pillow. He's laying his head on a pillow, unless he had a big pillow there and he's curled up on it, but he's in the back of the boat. Now, these aren't huge boats. Um, if you've been to Israel, you've seen the fishermen's boats. But think of this. They're so concerned about their, themselves, they go to the back of the boat. Now you've got 13 people in the back of a small boat. Can't you just see the back going down and the front going up? And now the storm could flip you over. How often we can get with other people that are like-minded and will go try to figure it out without ever stopping and praying. Now I'll tell you what happens when storms come. When we lose our security, we become exhausted. And the storm is designed to sap you of strength, to keep you from a full night's sleep. And then you chase that. I, I can't sleep. I can't get to sleep. And so the doctor says, try this and see how you're doing. Then you think, well, what if I just have a little shot of this before I go to bed? I haven't had one of these for years. You go to the liquor store and you get yourself a shot of whiskey or a glass of wine. You try to get to sleep. Now you're taking drugs with alcohol, and that's how accidental deaths occur. So storms exhaust us. And they will steal that place of rest that is rightfully yours in Jesus Christ. Now, look at Proverbs chapter 9, verse 20. Proverbs 9, 20, if you would. Listen to this. I messed up. I can find something good I could read to you here, I guess. Chapter 9. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, not the fear of the storm, not the fear if your life insurance is paid up, not the fear of do you have to drown, not the fear of you're not going to make it, but the fear of the Lord. Do you love the Lord and fear him respectfully more than you are giving attention to the storms of life? As if you love these storms and so you forget about him. The fear of the Lord, he says in verse 10, is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied And years of life will be added to you. If you're wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you will hear it alone. God wants to strengthen you. So we get to this next spot. The fifth thing a storm can do to you. You come to him and say, some of your Bibles say rabbi, some say master, some say teacher. All meaning the same thing, pretty much. 
Don't you care that we are perishing? Do you remember when he said, let us go over to the other side? What, do they have a mouse in their pocket? What, who's the we? They're not talking about him. Obviously, he's, he's not freaked out because of the thunder, the lightning, the waves, and the water coming in the boat. He's at total peace. He knows what's going to happen on the other side. They don't. So here they are in the back of the boat. Instead of saying, what can we do to help the people around us? Don't you care? Oh, my goodness, what a stupid thing to say. Jesus doesn't care. He goes to a cross for every human that was born and will be born. Don't you care? How ridiculous. They've seen him go for hours and days without food and water and and rest to help the multitudes, to help the followers, to help the disciples, to help the children, to help the fatherless children, to help the mommies and the daddies and the grammies and the grandpas. Don't you care? What a sad state of affairs when the people that are closest to Jesus would even raise that thought. Don't you care? And look how selfish it is that we are perishing. You're asleep. So it's all about me. Remember, we don't hear about him on the other side of the storm. Jesus does all the work without him. So when you think of this, don't you care? A storm can steal your reasoning. You're not thinking clearly. Don't make major decisions during a storm, other than keeping the water out and praying. Just let the Lord do it. But many times people are rash, and they do dumb things, and they say things that will hurt for years to their children or to their spouse. No. Don't let the devil bring anything up in your life. It would stop you from having good reasoning. Because God has not given you the spirit of fear. They're full of fear. He's given you love and power and a sound mind. Now, don't lose your reasoning abilities. In fact, I've learned in the last 49 years, the more I read this, the more my reasoning abilities are stronger. The wisdom and the understanding to take on bigger situations or to help people in big situations. No, no, no. Don't turn against Jesus ever. He knows what he's doing. He has a blessing for you on the other side. Apparently these 12 guys, Larry, Curly, Moe, Joe, and Shemp and their buddies, they didn't even get that blessing when they got there. Don't you care that we are perishing is the sixth thing. Don't you care? That's bad reasoning. The sixth thing is what don't you care about? My agenda or God's agenda? And how quickly our agenda erases God's agenda when we're in the middle of a storm. No, storms of life are prone to make one self-centered. It becomes about us. It's not about Jesus. Obviously, it's not about the little boats and all the people that are so thrilled and they need help. It's all about self. And when it seems like We've been bumped off the wagon or we've been knocked down and we've got so many problems going on. God's not a part of our reasoning. Jesus isn't a part of our peace. The people around us are of no consequence right now. It's all men for themselves. The survival of the fittest. When no, it's a survival of the sacrificial. To lay your life down. There's no greater love 
on this earth that a man will lay his life down for his brethren. You see, all of these men, unfortunately Judas was a devil, they all ended their lives with horrible storms. When they hung Peter, he didn't feel he is worthy to be crucified. So he asked him to turn the cross upside down. Some say that's where we get the peace symbol. That's a negative thing, not a positive thing. It's used in witchcraft. When you think of the arms broken and they're upside down now, you get this inverted cross. John, they say, was put into a vat of boiling oil. And uh, when he got out, there wasn't anything the matter with his skin. And that's why Caesar said, put him out in the Mediterranean on a volcano rock called Patmos. They all felt horrible things. I think it was James was tied by his ankles uh, and drugged through the streets by the Roman soldiers until his skull was open and his brains came out. They all paid a great price. Paul, the apostle, suffered. He had 39 lashes three times. He was shipwrecked. He was in the water for two or three days. He gets to a little island tries to get some warm fire going as he reaches in the wood that sticks. A viper is in there and bites him in his hand. He had one problem after another. But the thing we learn, if we knew nothing about him, is what he made it through, is that you don't run. You never surrender to the storms. You never give up. You always have hope. You always trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You don't lean to your own understanding, but you acknowledge him in all of your ways. Don't you care? There goes my reasoning. We are perishing. Well, I am very self-centered. But then, point seven, and this is our last. Jesus gets up. He didn't say anything to them. He had already said, let us go. They didn't get that very clearly. So he stands up. And he faces the storm, and he says, Peace, be still. And immediately, as your Bible says, a great calm came. Now, I've talked to boat people on the Sea of Galilee that have grown up there, just like these fishermen have. And still today, those winds can come from Syria over the mountains of Israel, and down, and all of a sudden, in in an instant, there's a storm going he said, what is, one man said, for, what is 45 minutes to come from uh, uh, where Peter lived and come over to here is now a two or three hour trip instead of 45 minutes in the bad storms. So Jesus did what they could have done. Peace, be still. When he says that, and a great calm comes, they're still stunned. Who is this guy? Well, you've been traveling with him for three chapters now. Four. He's the Son of God. You don't see it? He's preaching it to everybody. What are you doing hanging around him, trying to look like a groupie? Or what is it? Peace be still. Now, there's a man named Wiest, Kenneth Wiest. He was one of the first people I ever studied in his commentaries. He's an excellent linguist, knows the Greek language. He says when Jesus said, peace be still, it just wasn't some words coming out to please his disciples. It was a word that would be used towards a personage of some sort. Otherwise, there's somebody behind this storm. But literally, peace be still 
is be ye muzzled. A Doberman pincer's coming at you. And he's growling, his teeth open up. Be ye muzzled. Just like you'd muzzle a, ra- a rabid dog. He knows the devil sent the, stor- the storm because he doesn't want that crazy man to be saved and healed. Because that crazy man became an evangelist and went to his town, ten towns, and shared the wonderful things the Lord did. The devil doesn't want you leading people to the Lord. The Lord does. So if you're leading a lot of people to the Lord, you're probably walking close to him. And if you're not, you're having all your blessings stolen, thinking that you'll leave it up to the pastor. He spoke to the source, to the personage. He knew that Satan had brought the storm. But it's what's on the other side of the storm for each of our lives. It's a blessing. And part of you will die when fear comes. And you can say, Lord, you haven't given me the spirit of fear. Please take this fear away. Until no matter what happens. His body. I visited a minister recently. His body was twice the size of his regular self. He wasn't going to live. His wife had no hope. The children had no hope. What she knew that they didn't know and the people he ministered to is that he felt like such a failure and wasn't getting encouragement. Apparently they didn't make enough money to keep their bills going. That He started drinking. And nobody knew his drinking. But he drank so much. And she was hesitant to tell me this because I discipled him and opened the door for him to go into ministry that he didn't want me to see him as a failure. And I said, don't ever let the devil use that again. Call me immediately, please. You're not going to put him down because he's hurt, he's wounded, he's made mistakes. No. When I prayed with him, I just stood there like I was talking to my friend. I didn't tell him I knew everything. His wife told me, but I said, ultimately, I think this is a situation between you and God. And I have a feeling he may want to bring you back here. They say you're going to die in the next few hours. But if there's a struggle, get your pride out of the way. You can't save everyone. You can't please everyone. You can't help everyone. Just do what you can do and love your wife and children, and don't let this world distract you. Well, two days later, he opened his eyes. Three days later, he had the tube out that he was breathing on. Four days later, she sent me a picture of them standing together in the hospital. Now, they're sending him home. When they said, you better get ready, he'll be dead in a few hours. Please, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what the situation is, no matter how painful it is, and I know... Things with our families, things with our friends can be really painful. But trust the Lord. You're not going to sink. You're going to the other side. You're crossing the Jordan. You're going into the promised land. You're going to heaven. So in the meantime, keep, keep your faith. Keep your compassion for others. Keep your peace that Jesus gives. Keep the rest that is in your heart from him. Keep your reasoning, keep your self-control, and not be self-centered. And take the peace when he stops the storm and look for the person on the other side 
that desperately need you to tell them how they can be set free. Shall we stand and shall we pray? If you're in a storm today, I'll be more than happy to meet you down here with a couple of the pastors and we'll pray with you and for you. If the big storm is that you're not a believer and you didn't realize that you could be forgiven of your sins and of the things that you've said and done and thought, well, you can be today. And the Lord has the peace that you've been looking for. He has the understanding that you didn't know is there. And he has the ability to give you eternal life. I want you to just come down front and we will pray with you. We'll answer any questions we can and we'll encourage you. If you came with a friend, they'll wait and they can come down and pray too. But don't let the storms overwhelm you because the devil has some big ones waiting for you. And you're not going to make it to the other side without Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you just for these simple stories that Mark kept track of. And how often, instead of seeking you, we lose our faith. We don't say, I'll get out of the boat and walk to you, Jesus, if that's you. I'll do something new and different. Lord, thinking of all the people around us with this size of a group, there's thousands of people playing little parts in our lives that we just see them as a blur we don't help them increase our compassion and Lord please let us trust you our security is in the boat instead of in you and this boat and this problem is getting too much for us to handle Lord bless my brothers and my sisters this hour Even if today a huge storm blows, let them remember that you're right there with them and you're at total peace. Let each one of us remember this, Lord, that it's not weird that storms are coming into our lives, no matter how rich or poor we are. What's weird is that we forget to look to you. So give us the peace and the strength to press on and the ears and the eyes and the heart to see who it is the devil is trying to block us from so that we can give them to you. Bless every household of those that aren't even here. Bless these men and women with the power of your Holy Spirit and let us all be people of the word that our roots will go deep And our fruit will be luscious. And our leaves will be green. And that, God, you would use us, that we could stand in your throne room because of the righteousness Jesus has given us. Bless these men and women. Bless this congregation. Bless these servants that are serving in music, all the other auxiliary people. Let us wake up before it's too late. Have mercy on the United States of America, and especially the state of California. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.